The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. Let me read our text in Psalm 43. It says this, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. For the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your, your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Nathan, would you come and preach the word to us? Amen. Thank you. Michael, what a joy to be with you all today. What an honor to bring God's Word to you from Psalm chapter 43. Let me just say greetings from our church in Austin, Texas. Uh, We are grateful for you, and we are encouraged by what God is doing here in this church. I am personally very encouraged by uh, Tom and by Jeremy. Brother, listen to your sermon last week. Just personally encouraged. Uh, Thank you so much. A couple of things that I would share with you about your pastor, uh, now your senior pastor, Michael. One is that the man knows how to smoke brisket the way God intended for it to be smoked. He knows what he's doing. I can speak from personal experience. Uh, The other is that he loves this church. Uh, We talk on the phone often uh, about many things. Uh, anything from UFOs to the Bible and all sorts of things. Uh, we have different convictions about UFOs, I think, but uh, he loves this church. He loves you. Uh, we talk on the phone often about what's going on here, but Michael does not gossip about you. Uh, he talks about you. Uh, he is not here for a job. Uh, he is here for a calling, and it's uh, very evident. So praise God for him. Be thankful for he and your pastor's. We all want to be right. And we don't just want to be right. We want it to be known that we are right. We want to be vindicated. That's what it means to be vindicated. To be right, but to be shown or ruled or testified to be right by everyone else. I don't think any husband or wife, my experience is minimal, but I don't think any husband or wife has ever said to each other, you know, honey, you know what I love more than anything? I love it when I'm wrong and you're right. (laughs) That's my favorite. No, what usually happens is if you do find a time when you actually are right and your spouse says, honey, you're right. What does the other spouse do? Excuse me, what? (laughs) Would you like to repeat that? Can we write this down and make a memorial? Never forget this day. 
It's a defining question in our society today. Do you want to be known as being on the right side of history? Do you want to be vindicated in the future? Children, don't you want to be proved right when you argue with your siblings about whose turn it is? Lawyers, don't you go to work every single day hoping to be vindicated by a jury or judge in the end? We all have this desire. And if we have any sense of God being any kind of a sovereign God, any kind of a God who is active and powerful, we want God's vindication. We want God to vindicate us. We want God Himself to say that we are right. And this is a cry in Psalm 43 for those who have put their refuge in the Lord. Psalm 43, verse 1, Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause. Make it known. Show yourself that I am with you and that you and that I are right. Well, will God do it? Will God vindicate His people? Is He interested in our case? Today in this psalm, we will see the psalmist has the same crisis of vindication and the same confusion and ultimately the same hope for vindication that we have. We'll see the crisis of vindication, the confusion that God's people will experience and then want for, dis- for vindication, and how the only hope for true vindication is in Christ. The only hope to be truly vindicated is in Christ. See first the crisis in verse 1. Psalm 43, verse 1, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause, here's the crisis, against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. God, the bad people are getting me, God. This is the crisis. This is the situation. Suffering the oppression of ungodly, deceitful, and unjust people. Notice that this is the situation. Actively living in oppression from ungodly, deceitful, and unjust people. Ungodly means those who are oppressing you lack the fear of God. Some might claim to be God's people, like Saul did in 1 Samuel, but their lives are defined actually by un. God, ungodliness, opposite the ways and the character and the truth of God. The psalmist is encountering those who are ungodly and those who are deceitful. Deceit means words and actions that are meant to trick, meant to hide, lying. You say one thing, but you mean another thing. Traps are set that you might pay a cost and someone else might get the benefit. And unjust. This is when payment or punishment go out of balance. That's injustice. When what someone is due, their payment, 
or their justice, their punishment, goes out of balance. Criminals go free. Workers go unpaid. Unjust. And this is the oppression that the enemy in this psalm is keeping up. That word oppression is the word for a state of ongoing oppression. A relentless effort to keep you in an an ongoing state of being pressed down, constantly opposed, blocked, stalled, manipulated. Here's what that looks like in an example. It looks like the life of Raymond Flanks. On December 17, 1983, Faye Carnesi had been in her car waiting for her 69-year-old husband, Martin Carnesi. Black man wearing a shower cap walked up and announced he was going to begin a robbery. Then he shot her husband in the chest and killed him. The robber then took Faye's purse and fled. Faye described the gunman to police as a black male with a mustache in his late 20s, 5'10", about 150 pounds. She reported the man had a large white blotch, a birthmark, on his face, and that he was driving a very old, old light blue car. After Faye identified Raymond Flanks as that man in the photograph lineup that she was presented, he was convicted sentenced to life in prison without parole, even though no ballistics test connected him to the shooting, even though he had a credible ally, and even though he drove a brand new 1982 Chevrolet, and even though he was much younger, even though he had different facial hair, and even though he had no white blotch on his face, as Faye first described. It was an entirely unjust... It was not a momentary light of fiction... It was life in prison for something that he did not do. Now, maybe you're not in prison, but you are stuck or you will be stuck in some state of oppression. Something that you can't get out of. Maybe there is something that you are desperate for God to judge now. Maybe it's an abusive spouse. Maybe it's unfair treatment at work. I just wish that God would show me that I am in the right here. Understand, be clear, this psalm is not just simply for complaining. It's there for crying out for justice and vindication when you suffer ungodliness, deceit, and injustice. Like when you get fired from a professional baseball team. I'm sure this is all your experience. Fired from a professional baseball team because you won't celebrate their sinful agenda. Something that happened this week. Or when you get sued because of hate speech, but that quote-unquote hate speech, it's just the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's a family member who wronged you in the closing of your parents' estate. One of the things I've seen over and over as a pastor, and I've seen my own family, everyone is happy. Everyone is happy until the patriarch and the matriarch die. And then people show up at the house you've never seen before. Everyone is happy until there's something that they want. When you find yourself on the suffering end of ungodliness, deception, and injustice, it could be really confusing if you're a Christian. It could be really disorienting and disillusioning if you're a Christian. Look at the confusion in verse 2. 
The confusion is this, God, I thought that I made you my God. Why are you letting these things happen to me? I made you my refuge. See how this is the confusion. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? I thought you were going to be there for me. I thought you were going to protect me. I thought you were going to take care of my job. I thought you were going to make sure we never missed any meals. I thought you were going to make sure I would never have to suffer anything. In a film called The American Gospel, which you can go uh, watch, I don't know if it's free anymore, on Amazon, there's a woman who gives her testimony, and she almost died of a sickness that the doctors could not even find when she went to the hospital. She said, going to the hospital, my life goal at that point was to have a, a, a pain experience on the scale from zero to ten, to have it be a zero. Everywhere I, get, everywhere I went. And I thought God owed me a zero pain life. And she went through the hospital and she actually began to trust the Lord and love Him more than a pain-free life. I put my trust in you, God, Now I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy. It's not just a cry for vindication. The confusion is over the fact that it seems like God has abandoned you. And this is a mournful, sorrowful experience. Look look down at verse 5. The soul is downcast. The the soul is turmoiled within. This is a, a deep spiritual and emotional depression that coffee won't fix. A walk in the park on a breezy, sunny day won't fix this. Your favorite dessert, brisket, drink, sensuality, nothing will fix this. The whole world is out of order. Your soul inside is downcast. Maybe you are in this situation right now. Have you put your trust in God? And maybe you're trying for the first time, maybe you're trying for the first time to just give it a shot. I'm going to trust God with my life. I'm going to obey Him. I'm going to live my life like He has called me and created me to live my life. I'm going to give it over to Him. And then all the bad things start to happen. And people start opposing you. And you start paying cost for saying that. The girl cheated, but she got the job promotion instead of you. The sleazy guy got the girl. The other company that cuts corners won the contract instead of you. Well, isn't that great? I started following God, put my trust in Him, and while He's not saving me from all this ungodliness, all this deception and this injustice, in fact, it's worse now. It's certainly increasingly the case for Christendom in general in the West. Suffering ungodliness deceit and injustice at so many political and cultural turns. This is so confusing. It's hard enough to suffer it. It's hard when it's confusing. God, this doesn't make any sense that you're going to be there for us. Psalm 73, which according to my calculations, is a psalm someone will preach in the year 2034, It's a wonderful example. Psalm 73 really states the experience that the psalmist is going through. It's actually a frequent thing in the Bible to be God's people and to suffer more because of it. It's all through the Bible. 
And it's all through the Psalms. Listen to how the Psalm says in Psalm 34, a little more, Psalm 73, a little more acutely than our Psalm. For they, the rich and the arrogant, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. That's not an insult in the psalm. It just means they are fat and happy and shiny. Because they have so much money and they just sit around and eat all day. They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They're so proud. Violence covers them as a garment. They're able to be violent towards others because of their place of power. Their eyes swell out through their fatness. That, I think that actually might be an insult. Their hearts overflow with follies. They don't care. They're light. They don't care. They're just living their best life now. They scoff. They speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression as if nothing could touch them. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth probably Twitter today. Therefore his people turn back to them and they find no fault in, in them. And they sit around saying, how can God know? There they are out there oppressing and they say, how can God know? God doesn't know what's going on. Is there knowledge in the Most High? He doesn't even know what's going on. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. Do you hear the confusion and the sorrow in the psalmist? All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I've been right before God and look at their life and look at my life. This is the description of the experience of the people of God all through the Bible. Put my refuge in God, I'm following God, and the people are coming after me. It could be as small as a theological debate with a friend. It could be your job or your very life that's on the line. Maybe a marriage. Maybe a relationship with a child where you are opposed at every turn. Well, if that's you, Christian, if you have put your hope in God and made Him your refuge... Trust Him with your life, and you are walking in obedience. You are not, best that you can, living in ungodliness and deceitfulness and injustice. Here is the hope for you, that you will be truly vindicated in Christ. There is true vindication in Christ. Look what he says in verse 3. Send out your light. The person praying for vindication, suffering oppression, ask God to send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. What can you pray, church? What can you pray? You can pray this. God, you lead me through this. One of the most difficult things to know when you are suffering oppression from those who are ungodly, they have no moral ethic, they are deceitful, they are unjust. It's just knowing what to do. What do I do? Well, here's what you do. You look to Christ who is God's light and truth. Look to Christ who is God's 
light, and truth. The psalmist is praying, God, send your light and truth. That's an example for us. Send me your light and your truth. Do not wake up in the midst of oppression and read the horoscope. Or Reader's Digest. I know no one reads that anymore. Don't look at your personality test to see how, how you and, and your, your numbers and how you might get out of this situation better based on the type of person that you are. Don't look to Oprah or the wisdom of your favorite podcast. Don't type into Amazon searching for self-help books. See the psalmist example. He goes to God. He goes to God asking for light and truth. But he does not pray simply, God, send me some light. Send me some truth. He says personally, God, send me your light. God, send me your truth. You, God, your light, your truth is what I need. Light and truth come from God. They are of God. They are not realities apart from Him. They are not resources from which He draws and distributes to His children. They emanate from Him. God is light. He is truth. I want to encourage you, church, to get serious now, whether you are in or will be soon in the midst of oppression, to get very serious about your epistemology. How we handle the crisis and confusion of injustice is just a symptom of how we handle one of what I think is the most pressing questions in our day, our epistemology. That is, how do we know what we know? Epistemology is just a fancy word to get your attention for a minute. It simply means the study of knowledge. Epistemology comes from the Greek word episteme, which means to know something. Epistemology is just asking the question. It's the discipline of asking the question, how do we know what we know about anything? How do we know what's true? Carl Henry wrote a landmark book in the middle of the 20th century entitled God, Revelation, and Authority. The founder of Christianity Today magazine and a member at Capitol Hill Baptist Church until his death, he had both a seminary degree and a Ph.D. in philosophy from Boston University. He wrote God, Revelation, and Authority in part to explain the various ways of how we know things. It's a 3,006-volume work. I'm going to try to summarize it in just a couple of moments. Carl shows that there are really three main ideals about how we know things, how we know anything. The first category would be the belief that we know things primarily through experience and reason. Experience and reason. If you're looking for the philosophical terms, that would be empiricism and rationalism. From around the 1600s until the 1950s, this was the dominating Western philosophical ideal. 
dominating. Not soul, but dominating. In this category, the primary way that you can know something is true, that you can come to the truth, is if you can experience it. That is, if you can touch it and measure it and observe it. This is science. If your sensations can gather information about it. From the Enlightenment forward, it was increasingly believed that the way to know something is through science, through intelligence, through reason and logic. In America, that really peaked when the existence of God was questioned at the Scopes trial in the 1920s over the trial regarding evolution being taught in schools. From the 1600s to around the 1950s, this was dominant in Western public thinking. That this is how you come to know something, through experience or through reason. There's another way that we know things, and this is the dominant way that guards that guides our society today. It's intuition. Or the philosophical term mysticism. In mysticism, one can have transcendent, immediate apprehension of knowledge. It's a technical term. But what that means is, how do I know what is true? How do I know what is real? I just know. I know. Transcendent, immediate apprehension of knowledge. Sometimes this gut feeling is helped by scenery or something you can smoke. We could throw into this category, I've just got a gut feeling about this. Truth is determined by feeling. This epistemological worldview is described in sentences like, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. And we are seeing the peak of this in our culture today when it comes to boyhood and girlhood and definitions of words like freedom. So there's experience and reason, there's intuition or mysticism. But thirdly, Carl Henry would argue, there has been... And there is a primary category called revelation. Revelation. That truth comes from God. And that God reveals truth. God makes himself known. Carl Henry says it this way. Revelation has both its basis and its limits in the will of God. What does God want anyone to know? It's up to Him. Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to God. Revelation has both its basis and its limits in the will of God, and it is His preferred means of mediating His Word. Human beings universally have no native resourcefulness for delineating God's nature and will. Not even gifted persons of special capacity or notable religious endowment can by their own abilities divine the secret things of the infinite. 
Not even regenerate Christians by their award-winning pastors, or be they eminent theologians, are spiritually endowed with any private organ or internal channel whereby they on their own power and initiative may clarify the mysteries of God in eternity. What is he saying? God makes himself known, and without God making himself known, we are left entirely confused and ignorant in the world. Now, it may sound like we have taken a detour just to play philosophy for a while. But whose counsel do you plan to seek when you are oppressed for years and years with no no release, when you are in the crisis, when you are in the confusion, suffering from ungodliness, from deceitfulness, and the unjust, will your worldview digress to reason alone? And science and logic give you an answer for vindication. Can you trust your intuition? I'll tell you right now, I do not trust the general population of Alabama's intuition about barbecue. <laughs> I'm from Austin, Texas. Will you cry out like the psalmist? God, send your light. God, send your light truth. See how it is so personal to the psalmist that this is from God, your light, your truth, God. I want to hear from you. I want you to guide me out of this. I want you to guide me in this. As long as I am in it, you guide me and it will get me back to you, my dwelling place with you. And ultimately, this is in all the world, in all of history, and for all eternity, bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. We see the light, we see the truth of God. No better way, no more centrally in everything that God has ever done than in the person of Jesus Christ. You can turn with me if you'd like to. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. You may know this passage well. This is how the Gospel of John begins talking about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that Logos was God and was with God. He, Logos is a he, was in the beginning with God. I mean, this is a statement against hundreds of years of empiricism and rationalism. The Logos, the reason, the logic was with God, and the Word was God. He, it's a person was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, not anything that was made was made. In him, that's in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. You see how John speaks broadly about Jesus? In him was life, and his life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. Christ 
came into the world shining into the darkness. And what does John say? The darkness has not overcome it. You cannot overcome the light that is in Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh. He was born of a woman. He became a man. And He dwelt among us. He walked among us. And we, John says, we've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. What is Jesus full of? What was the word full of? Grace and truth. Truth. This is the meaning of of Jesus, not just the facts about what he did, but what it means he is. He is the light and the truth. Jesus is himself the light and the truth of God in a man. That is what he means to us. He did many things. Everything that he did is the light and the truth coming from him. Jesus is how we get God's judgment about any crisis. How we get light in any situation, any darkness, how we get truth, no matter what deception is being whispered in our ears. You might think that Jesus being God's Son, the world would love Him. The world would just love Him as the light and the truth. But we see in the Bible that Jesus' life actually followed the shape of Psalm 43. John says a few chapters later in John 3, 19, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Friends, I want you to consider today not just am I right or am I wrong or am I vindicated, but have I personally put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the light and life and truth for me? Because if not, then we remain in judgment ourselves. You think it's terrible that someone else might wrong you? You think it's an awful thing that you've been mistreated at work or at home or anywhere? What a terrible thing to find out you've actually been in sin against God. That you have been ungodly. That you have been deceitful. That you have lied. That you have been unjust. And you must answer to God yourself. If we've not put our faith in Christ as the light, we are still in the judgment of God ourselves. You remain not on the wrong side of history, but on the wrong side of God. Jesus was sent to us so that we would have what the psalmist hopes for, that we would be brought to the dwelling place of God, even though we've sinned against Him. Though Jesus had never done anything wrong, He was never ungodly, Isn't that wonderful to even conceive? Jesus was never ungodly. Jesus never deceived anyone. Jesus was never unjust. Never. And yet, he was unjustly put to death by ungodly and deceitful men. Why? Why did Jesus die? Why did the truth, why did the light die? God sent Jesus to die for my justification and your justification. So that all who put our faith in Him, His death would be as... We've been singing in multiple songs this morning. His death would be as a propitiation for us, a replacement for us, an acceptable vindication for us that God would accept Jesus' life on our behalf. His death as the payment of our debt for our sin. 
so that all who trust in Christ, even if you're never vindicated from any situation on earth ever in your life, you can be vindicated at the throne of God because your sin has been forgiven in His presence. Because you put your faith and you wrapped your arms and you attached your heart and your soul to Christ who died for you. Romans 3 says it this way, there is no distinction. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we are all justified, think vindicated in a sense, by His grace as a gift. Though the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. The only way that we are justified and vindicated before God in regards to ourselves is not our own righteousness, but the blood of Christ which washes away our sin. Well, where is Jesus vindicated? What makes Jesus right before God? What makes Jesus someone that we can actually trust? Someone that we can actually say, this man that died actually did pay for our sins, actually is worthy of following. He is the light. He is the truth. Even though he died, he rose from the grave. Three days after Jesus died, he rose from the grave, proving, vindicating everything that he had said about himself, vindicating everything the apostles said about him, that he is the light, he is the truth. He died for sin. Your sins really can be forgiven because he really is the light and the truth crucified for you. Dear Christian, you need not spend time trying to explain Jesus' resurrection, defend Jesus' resurrection. It is the vindicating sign that He is the light and the truth, that He is who He said He was, that if you put in your faith in Him, you will really be forgiven of your sin, and you will, in fact, be vindicated as having found the light and the truth at the end of your life. Two things... Christ being the light and the truth, teach us. One, vindication is in Christ, and it is our hope for vindication after death. You may look like a fool now in this life, trusting in Jesus Christ, a man risen from the grave. You may be mistreated now. You may be wronged time and again. So was Christ in his life. That's how Christ died. He died at the hands of ungodly, deceitful, and unjust men. You want to be on the right side of history? Be on the right side of eternity. I'm reading a book about the Puritans this week. I was reminded in 1553 the king of England died. His 37-year-old sister, Mary, a devout Catholic, came to the throne and wanted to rip out the Reformation at its roots. She, to that end had the first Puritan, not perfect people by any sense, Puritan, John Hooper, burned at the stake. It took 45 minutes for him to die because the wood had been ill-prepared. The record says that as he was dying, he simply repeated over and over and over, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit until his mouth burned away. And 280 Protestants, including 56 women, chose the flames instead of Catholicism. Forget the Supreme Court. Who's going to vindicate you when you are dead? When you die unvindicated, 
when you die having suffered oppression, when you die having been a people who have been outcast from society, then who's going to vindicate you? This is the whole point of the book of Revelation. It looks like you're losing. It looks like Christians are on the wrong side of history. You're being thrown to the beast. You refuse to take the mark of the beast. You won't be able to buy bread. Well, who's right? Who's going to be vindicated in the end? Revelation shows that Christians are going to be mistreated. We will be murdered, hated, attacked, conspired against on earth by people and nations, and, oh, by the way, attacked and oppressed by satanic powers until the end of the world when the King of Kings comes. If you look at Revelation chapter 18, Babylon, representation of all wicked nations on the world, is going to be destroyed forever. Chapter 20, Satan will be destroyed. Chapter 20, all those who were wicked and rejected Christ and rejected God's people will be thrown into the lake of fire. And chapter 21, and all those who trusted Christ, vindicated. Revelation says when the enemies of God of, of God's people are defeated, they will sing rejoicing. They will enjoy their vindication. Revelation 19 records it like this. After Babylon has been destroyed, John says, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For, listen to this, here's what we will sing. His judgments are true and they are just. He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with immorality and avenged on her the blood of her servants. We are waiting for Christ to come to be our final vindication as he rose from the dead. Revelation 19.11 describes him as the one sitting who is called faithful. He is true. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. Make no mistake, no matter what you are suffering, or for that matter, no matter what you think you might be getting away with. Ecclesiastes said, you may think the whole world is vain. You may think nothing matters. You may think no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. But here's how the end, Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, God will bring every deed into judgment. Every deed. And this is heaven at the end of Revelation. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God will give himself to them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All who are in Christ will be vindicated. See how this undoes the confusion? See how this gives answers to the crisis? The vindication that we are waiting for is not a vindication here in earth's courts or at your kitchen table. It is vindication in heaven forever. Our eternal vindication is in Christ, the truth and the light of God. Second thing for us to close. Leave the vindicating to God. Leave the vindicating to God. Someone is going to mistreat you. Leave it to God. Live like Christ when he died for you, entrusting himself to God in his own death, his own unjust death. Remember Raymond Flanks? I was at a pastor's uh, meeting 
in Albuquerque a few weeks ago when Raymond was invited to come talk to us uh, one evening, and he told his story about going to prison. He was just released last year. Forty years ago, he went to prison. He continued to make public requests for his vindication year after year after year after year, simply asking to see the files in his own case, which he had a legal right to see. He did not receive it for 21 years. 21 years, application after application. And then he says one day, miraculously, he received 100 pages on his file, which is actually a very small amount for a life sentence case. The file showed what he knew. His case was a fraud. Ballistics tests were in his file showing that the gun that he owned was not the gun that was used to kill Faye Carnese's husband. You would like to think that he got out then, that he was vindicated, that he was free. The oppression continued a little while longer. No one would take his case. It took six more years until the Innocence Project would finally find his case and take it up with him. And after they found it, it would take two more years before they could convince a prosecuting attorney that he should actually be free. When he got out, one of his requests to his representing attorney at the time was that he could go see the prosecuting attorney who put him in prison so he could tell him to his face that he forgives him. Raymond had become a Christian while he was being prosecuted and and in prison. He began praying that the man who put him in prison as a prosecuting attorney would become a defense attorney. And one of the things Raymond has already been able to do is join that former prosecuting attorney who is now a defense attorney and help him defend another wrongly accused inmate. Leave the vindication to God. Does that mean that I'm going to lose, that I will suffer injustice? Absolutely. Yes. There may be no justice on this side of the grave. You might die in prison. Paul instructs Christians to live a cruciform life like Jesus did. If you take God as your refuge, as your refuge, that may at may times look like the ungodly, the deceitful, and the just, and the unjust are winning. Put your hope in God. Leave the vindicating to God. Peter puts it like this: What credit? What credit is it if, when you sin and you are beaten for it, you endure? You do something wrong, you get punished for it. What's the big deal? But when you do good, and you suffer for it, you endure. Well, that's a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, Christians, you've been called. Christians, you've been called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example of how to suffer for Him, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself To him, to God, who judges justly. Psalm 43 is a prayer. God may answer in some ways now. He may save you from the oppression or release you from prison. 
He may not. But if you are in Christ, He will vindicate you in the end. And that you will be with Him when God separates the sheep from the goats and reads the names in the Lamb's book of life. This is our hope in God. This means that when we encounter oppression from the, oppression from the ungodly, the deceit or the unjust, we can still have hope. Hope. Longing for something, believing that you will actually have it. You know, people who have won the lottery, they don't hope they'll win the lottery. They're just enjoying it. But we also don't hope for things that we don't want. I don't, I don't hope to eat bad brisket today. I don't hope for that. Hope is the combination of things that you long for, things that you expect you will see. Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Why? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him. Spurgeon says, Times of complaint will soon end. Seasons of praise will begin. Come, my heart, look out the window. Borrow the telescope glass. Forecast a little. And sweeten the chamber with sprigs of the sweet herb of hope. That is what Christ is. Our hope for vindication and eternity. If Christ has been raised from the dead, our vindication is sure. We need not be cast down in the soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the kindness that you have offered us in your word to show to us and reveal to us that Christ is light, He is truth, that He was crucified for our sins, raised from the dead, that our vindication when we are wronged may not come now, but will come at some time. And I pray that You would help us have hope. And that by having that hope that we will be vindicated in the end in Christ, that we will live like Christ now. That we will forgive. Forgive our wives. Forgive our husbands. Forgive our children. Forgive our bosses, forgive our neighbors, remembering that it is, whether it is the, the slightest inconvenience or the grossest sin against you, you will bring every deed into judgment, and we will be vindicated in Christ. Help us have that hope. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.